You are tuned into The Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. Welcome to The Dr. Tina Show. On this episode of the podcast, I'm sitting down with my friend, Holly Sinclair. Holly Sinclair is the founder of the Women's Series, and she has a whole host of certifications behind her name. We met online during this pandemic, and we've become friends. And I wanted to hear about how she was dealing with life as a functional medicine practitioner down under, meaning she lives in Australia. She's been living in one of the most locked down states in Australia throughout this entire pandemic. And I wanted you guys to hear what's happening there. I know that some of you have been following along on social media, but we don't hear about the tyranny that's occurring on the mainstream media. I think you'll find this information enlightening, if not somewhat shocking. She's a wonderful, wonderful woman. She's a wonderful practitioner. We had gads of fun chatting. We really dug in. I shared some of my opinion more readily than I often do. I hope you find this podcast episode valuable. Holly Sinclair, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for joining me on the Dr. Tina show. You are my friend from down under. You are my token Aussie buddy. And I want you to tell us what the hell is going on in Australia. So can you introduce yourself for the audience, please? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to uh, talk all things Australia today because it is pretty crazy. (laughs) what's going on down here. Um, But for those of you who don't know me, yes, my name's Holly. I run a business called The Women's Series in Australia, which is focused on empowering women through education. Um, And I hold certifications in FDN. I've got a Bachelor of Science. I've got a Bachelor of Social Work. And I'm currently doing my postgraduate with the Karazian Institute in the States. Um, love Datis, he's my favorite. Um, and yeah, I've been doing this sort of work for the last 15 years. So what's happened in the last two years, probably very similar to yourself, which was something that uh, we spoke about on my podcast with you Yes, is that I just can't wrap my head around it, you know, because knowing what you and I know about health, it's just so crazy to me (laughs) what's taken place. And especially being an Australian and especially being a Victorian, which I know we're going to get into today, um, you know, it's kind of the same for those who don't understand. I'm sure it's the same for if you're a Canadian and you're living in Ontario or, you know, it's, it's kind of the same level of craziness down here. So it's been challenging, but I'm excited to get into the conversation about it. Oh, yes. I, me too. I've been so anxious to have you on. I first I want to just start with this idea of zero COVID, which you and I both know is completely impossible. And I was saying this from the start online, assuming this was common knowledge, and apparently it's not. uh, This concept that you can't, their goal is you're on an island, they're going to lock you down, they're going to keep everybody locked down and hidden until the vaccine, the first it was until the vaccine comes, and then the vaccine's going to come and everyone's going to be okay. And I wanted to share with you quickly It was very weird because whenever I would discuss this online, I would get Australians come back at me, which I thought was so odd. Australians would come back at me and say some of the most evil vitriol, Mm. telling me I had no idea what I was talking about. And I was like, really? Because you have a doctorate and, (laughs) you know, and I thought, okay, well, we'll see, right? I just, that's how I'd answer. I'm like, okay, well, we'll see. And I did not think it would get to this point of draconian, tyrannical craziness. You guys are a highly vaccinated country and Mm -hmm. they're vaccinating the children. And it's, if anyone doesn't know what's going on in Australia, they're clearly not paying attention. 
Um, you are not vaccinated. Is that correct? No way. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, well, well I, I mean, it's out of the bag now because I put it on my socials, but I'm obviously pregnant. Um, yes. So that's a definite no way. <laughs> um, but even before I conceived seven months ago, we were like in the midst of, you know, really gearing up for vaccination. So, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> so it's not working. Zero COVID is impossible. I know that uh, New Zealand's trying to do it too, and it's mm-hmm. not a possibility. China's trying to do it as well. The John, Johns Hopkins just came out, what was it, yesterday or the day before with their economics report showing that lockdowns had a just devastating impact on the world and only decreased mortality from COVID by 0.2%. So we have now have more proof that lockdowns didn't work. And Mm. you guys were told, oh, when the vaccine comes, we're going to let you out. Well, that's not happened, right? So I'm going to let you take it from there. That's all I know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we were told that. And um, maybe just to like, I'll put some clarity around what the last six months has looked like. So very similar to, I guess, democratic states um, like California. We sort of had the same mindset down here. I I live in what you guys would call a democratic state. We call it a labor state, Um, but it's very left wing, very unionized. And, um, you know, all the, the whole of COVID in 2020 was all about, you know, protecting the vulnerable and all the same spiel. But then Last year around, I don't know when the vaccinations started in the States, but they started around September, October, um, and they they classified them in age groups. So all the 80-plus-year-olds got it first, and then they opened it up to 60-year-olds, and then they opened it up to 50-year-olds and so forth and so forth. And as that was happening um, in November, our premier, who you guys would call a governor, um started to introduce this notion of mandating it. So he started with industries that I would probably say were the obvious ones like healthcare, um, you know, parliamentary people. And, you know, so they started to get mandated. And I don't know what it's like over there, but over here all of the other vaccinations are mandated if you're a nurse or if you're a doctor or if you work in a hospital setting. So even though I don't agree with that, it kind of made sense to me. But then, then it started creeping into other industries. So it started to creep into a lot of our trades. Um, and in Australia, it's very different to America because we hold our tradesmen, we call them tradies, um, at a very, very high prestige. We pay them an incredibly high rate. Um, so sparkies and carpenters and all that sort of stuff, they're like the cream of the crop down what's, here. What's a sparky? Like an electrician. Oh, that's what my husband is. <laughs> oh, there you go. I'm going to call, start calling him Sparky. <laughs> um, yeah, Sparky's. Um, so, and especially the state I'm in, it's very unionized, which means that the government is in bed effectively with a lot of the trades unions. Mm-hmm. So it started to creep into the trades. And this is where you guys would have started to see a lot of those protests because the tradesmen were like, we're not doing this. Mm-hmm. And there was that famous sort of video where all of the tradesmen actually started to attack their own union base. Mm-hmm. And that's that really sort of started around November. And unfortunately, instead of that becoming something that made our government go, oof, 
hang on a second, we need to think about this, it actually made them dig their heels in even further um, because they're so egoic and they're so, you know, full of their own, can I swear, bullshit. Yes, please. Um, (laughs) We just mark it as, we just check the little box when we produce the podcast. um, Explicit. (laughs) Um, You know, so, so from there, that's when it really snowballed. And we started to see it be mandated if you if you had an office job, if you had a retail job, if like literally everything. Um, so every single industry at the moment is now mandated to be vaccinated if you want to work. Wow. So that was sort of happening in November. And then lo and behold, summer comes <laughs> and all of a sudden case numbers drop <laughs> because it's warm outside and... Right. Right. And people are, you know, a bit healthier in the summer and we opened up back our economy. But then in January, um, we started to get Omicron cases. And so this has really spurred, circling right back to your initial question, this has really spurred on whether they mandate a third shot now. And it's looking like for us that that will be the case. Um, Certainly they've already mandated it in those what they deem high-risk industries, Um, you know, but whether that creeps into schooling, whether that creeps into whether or not you have to have a third shot as a student, um, it's very, very murky waters at the moment. The issue that our government has, which I think is hilarious, is that our federal government is uh, what we call liberals but what you guys would call probably republicans. And our federal government have something called a national cabinet where all of the premiers from across Australia have to go and agree on terms around, well, in this instance, COVID. And our premier last week was pushing for our prime minister to to make the third shot a mandatory part of being deemed as vaccinated. But he didn't do that, our prime minister. So now our premier is sort of like I'll be interested to see what takes place over the next fortnight because if he goes against the National Cabinet, then I can only presume that a lot of people in Victoria will really bite back at that. What's going on for the unvaccinated? Because all I'm getting is blips from social media, Instagram, and I follow Rebel News and a couple other news outlets who are covering it. I know that you guys have obviously – well. Let's say this. I live in Oregon. I just want to give a little plug out here because I have a a minor understanding of how you're feeling. Oregon, I just read a sort of a ranking of the freest and most unfree states in the nation in our in our country. And Oregon's number five of the least free. So it's fifth from the bottom of, of free. And then somebody went through with a fine tooth comb and looked at all the different mandates. And Oregon was easily the most tyrannical in the country. And they've just passed permanent mass mandates. As of, I think it was last Friday, for schools and healthcare workers forever. That means forever until they deem it unnecessary, which we all know that that probably won't happen. Um, so I, I am not nearly in the position you are in, but people forget Oregon exists in the in the U.S. Everyone's like, oh, they they hear about New York, they hear about L.A., but little do they hear about Oregon. Sure. So we're kind of in this like hellhole ourselves. And I know we talked about that on your podcast when I was on yours. So for being an unvaxxed person here, I'm not really, I don't really give a shit. Like, it's not that big of a deal for me. I haven't been excluded from anything but like uptight restaurants that I could give it, like I said, I could give a shit. But 
you guys, from what I'm hearing, are having some real issues. Like, what's the situation with grocery stores? What's the situation with medical care? What? Tell me about all that. Yeah. So as an unvaccinated person, so maybe I should just, um, first we should say that in Victoria, we have a 95% double vaccinated rate. So you're alone. You're you're in the minority. Oh yeah, it, it it might be higher now, but that's what it was late last year. And I think now at the third dose, we've had over two million Victorians have their third dose. So there's six million of us here. So I don't know what that percentage is, but it's creeping up. Um, so in Victoria, it's different in every state, similar to the states. Um, but I can't access anything. I can't go into a restaurant. I can't. Um, you know, I can't go to any privatised company because we have, I don't know if you guys use them, we have a QR code check-in requirement that syncs up to our state's um, app, Victorian government app, and that app is also then linked to our Medicare, which is our um, public health body, and when you check in, it comes up with either a green or a red tick Wow. So it's so it's linked to our vaccination status, um, which obviously doctors can only submit. So <clears throat> I can't access anything except for uh, a grocery store. Um, I think like public health medical um, hospitals, like a lot of private hospitals are turning unvaccinated people away. And especially in the work that I do in the birth space, it's been horrendous what has happened to women in hospitals recently um, because across the board, uh, not to get too deep into the birth world, but it's relevant to the question, across the board, like you're, unless you're double vaccinated as a partner, you're not allowed to attend. You have to get um, PCR tested as you go in during labour. And if you come back positive during your labour, you'll be moved to a COVID maternity ward where you have to birth in PPE gear alone without any support people. Like it's awful what's happening. Um so, yeah, in terms of what I can access, it's very limited. It's grocery stores, chemists, yeah, basic doctors. That's probably it. But I can't go to restaurants. I can't go to, like, we just had the Australian Open, which we can talk about if you want, with yes. Djokovic with Djokovic getting booted out. Um, but I can't go to any of those sorts of things. And I know that there's a lot of people with fake passports, but I personally don't want to engage in that because I think it's just like an extension of supporting the system. So uh, I totally agree. I, yeah, will not I, mean, I will not participate in that. And I've, that's I've, right. I know there's opportunities and um, I get it why people are doing it, but I, I, I don't condone it for many reasons. One is that I'm not playing this game. That's right. I'm exactly the same. So, uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who are getting away with it and it's fine, but for me, I just don't want to engage in that. So yeah, to, to answer your question, it's very, very limited what I can access. Okay, so on that note, let's just let the audience know if they haven't listened to my podcast episodes of recent, Omicron is, the vaccines are doing virtually nothing against Omicron at this point. I'll, I'll stop you there for two seconds. Yeah. We actually had a press, there was a press release last week in New South Wales, which is the state above us. They are a Republican state, a liberal state, and their chief health officer on vetted media, so Channel 7, said in the press release of the 33 people who died yesterday in hospital with Omicron, 29 were double vaccinated. So actually 
agreeing to your point, but even here we're seeing it. It's coming out in the media now that they're doing nothing. It does nothing for this variant. The way that they tested it to see if boosters would even help was they boosted people, then they took their serum and they ran they looked for antibodies in their serum. They saw an inc- a temporary, very temporary, like a matter of days to weeks, increase of antibodies for a hot second, and then it died off. So even being boosted does not protect you against Omicron. Omicron is, for the most part, mild. It's like having a bad cold. And at this point, this is exactly what we needed. And this is what any any epidemiologist would be happy right now if they were using common sense, because this is exactly what we want to have happen to a virus is for it to get kinder and gentler as it has. If you get Omicron and you live through it, which most everybody would, um, you're inoculated against the big scary Delta and some of the other potentially scary variants. And the vaccine doesn't stop transmission. We have that on good word from the CDC and everywhere else. And we've seen it out of Israel. We've seen it everywhere. So how on earth do mandates make any sense whatsoever? Well, this is the whole area of contention now. And especially down here, because we are 95% double jabbed, all you need to do is look at the fact that we're having, I don't know what the case numbers are because I don't listen to the media, but, you know, let's say 20,000 cases a day at one point in January. Well, those cases to your own standards, must have to be coming and transmitted by fully vaccinated people because as an unvaccinated person, I'm not allowed at a restaurant. Yeah, you're not out. <laughs> right? So so yeah. how are all these people, where are these cases coming from? And so then you think, are they not watching their own media? I don't, I don't really understand what's happening. Yeah, it makes you wonder what the long game is on this and what their end, the end game, I should say, because it clearly isn't about logic or science no that's right and like you know even at the moment with the the mandates and the vaccines we've just had school go back for preppies through to year 12s um and victoria has mandated that every single teacher has to do a rapid antigen test twice a week and every single student has to do a rapid antigen test twice a week even if they're vaccinated yeah yeah well you have to be vaccinated to be able to be a teacher Oh, do you have to be vaccinated to be a student? Uh, not yet. They haven't mandated it for people under 16, I think. Uh, they're, Fauci's they authorized <laughs> injecting babies now in the U.S. Oh, lovely. Yeah, that, just, that happened last week or this week. He's authorized five and under. So that's great. For a legacy virus that doesn't isn't even in circulation anymore. It's like getting the flu shot from three years ago. Yeah, it's it's... It's madness, you know, and so and now what's happening and maybe it's the same for you in Oregon, what we're seeing is they've got all these mandates in place, but because um, we are a very welfare led country. So one of the only things that I would say Australia did well is that they injected a lot of money into the economy when we went into lockdowns the last two years. I don't think that's good in the sense of economic growth, but I think it's good that at least people weren't just told to lock down and not have any money. So we had a stimulus where every single person got $1,500 a fortnight for about two years. And, but now that's stopped. Okay. So the federal government has said to the state governments, we're not giving you any more money. You're going to have to stay open. Lockdowns are done. I don't give a shit what you say. But because of these mandates, And because of their rules, even if you're double vaccinated here, 
if there's a case, you have to isolate for seven days, regardless of vaccination status. Everybody does? Everybody does. So whatever, like not in the state, but whoever's been close contact. Oh, I see. Whatever that means. But so what we're seeing is almost like this, like, lockdown without it being a lockdown. And it's actually worse for businesses because, you know, I'll walk down the street and restaurants will be closed and they'll have signs saying uh, all staff are infected, seven days have to close. But you're not having any financial support now. Oh, no. So, you know what I mean? So I I just wonder when the tipping point's going to be for people who went and did the right thing, they got their vaccinations in order to work or whatever, and now they must be looking at this saying, well, this is a bit of a joke because I got the vaccine and I still have to shut my business for seven days. Let me ask you this. Are you allowed to leave your country or come back no. in? No. So you guys are locked on your island? Me, as an unvaccinated person, no. Oh. As a vaccinated person, you're allowed to get on a plane. Yes, because and we have also have the CDC has come out and said that the unvaccinated and the vaccinated have essentially the same viral titers in their upper respiratory system. So that makes a lot of sense too, right? For sure. I'm not, and again, like for the listeners, I'm not dogging vaccines. If people want to get vaccinated because they believe that it, you know, and, and, and for the alpha and the delta variant, it did show efficacy of decreasing severity of illness and hospitalization. And potentially there was some decrease in death, although that was you know, there weren't a ton of studies on that. When it was released upon the public, it was only shown to decrease hospitalization and severity of illness. It was never shown to reduce transmission. Theoretically, and I say this on every podcast because this is my disclaimer, theoretically, when you have enough people vaccinated and their bodies aren't allowed to get titers what should happen theoretically is that the titers shouldn't be able to increase. The viral load shouldn't be able to get very high in a vaccinated body. And that is why they were going for getting everybody vaccinated. That's that that's their logic for mandates, right? But this vaccine isn't showing that. We're, it's actually showing that, like I just said, viral titers are similar in the vax and unvax. So mm. that kills any logic around mandates. Like right there, it's dead in the water. And so that's what I'm against. And I will stand firm on that. I know Joe Rogan's taking a lot of heat right now for his podcast with Malone and um, Peter McCullough. But and I, and my p- producer was like, are you worried about you at all? And I'm like, you know, I mean, not directly related to that. But I, it's just like, no, we're not. Because I, well, I, how does this information get out otherwise, unless it's via independent sources like yourself? Or right. And I have, I, I've done the episodes of I've done solo episodes about this and presented all the data. So it's like, what are I don't understand what like version of science these people are functioning. And I certainly don't understand what Australia's endgame is on this because this is lunacy. Well, I genuinely think and I actually have said this since like June 2020. There's a, there's a theory in economics called sunken fallacy, which is where um, you invest money into something and then you, it, even though it starts to tank in the stock market, you still stick with it because you've invested money, right? That's what we're seeing take place. Like these, these people, the premiers and the chief health officer and whoever else, they made a decision early and to be fair to them, they probably didn't know either. In March and in April, they were just going off really quick science. They weren't sure what was happening. And I can understand that. But instead of actually saying, you know what, we fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> in June, July, we're gonna we're gonna course correct. 
they've just tripled down. Yeah, that's the whole world. Yeah, right? And then the, there's a minute amount of people who went, hang on a second, like, you know, you've got Florida and Texas and we've got New South Wales and, you know, you've got some of these leaders who are like, you know what, we're done. We're not engaging in this anymore. But that's such a small minority of leaders comparatively to how the rest of the world has handled it. But I, I truly think it is a bit of a sunken fallacy. Oh, for sure. I, exactly. When people realize they're wrong and the amount of money that's been put into this and the amount of lives lost, they've got to double down and triple down. But, you know, like even here, and I don't know what it was like in different states there, but a lot of the, I mean, we can get into the weeds of it, but I think even a lot of what we experienced for two years in terms of case numbers, I think that was all a lie because our PCR was running at a 45 cycle threshold, you know. So, like, is this even truthful? Like, so you've locked us down on the early days of, I think we had 2,000 cases of the alpha variant, right? Yeah. Um, you guys went into lockdown in Victoria really early and hard really, compared really to the rest early. of the country, right? Yeah. But it's like, did we even have that many cases? Because if you're using 45 cycle thresholds, I oh, mean. Everything's positive. Exactly. Right. So, you know, and we're still continuing to this day to use that level of a PCR. Um, Um, British Columbia just came out. I just saw it literally before I opened up the recording to get on here with you that they've admitted that half of their cases, COVID cases were not COVID. Really? Yeah. So it's coming out Mm. and and Mm. people are demanding that different, you know, and I think in Canada, they're starting to look at was it with COVID or of COVID? I haven't seen anything like that come out in the United States yet, but it's it's a matter of time. And yeah, there's follow the money, right? There's a there's definitely a trail here. And I do feel bad for those who went along with it to do the right thing, who were genuinely snowed over. I'm not very good at getting snowed over. So <laughs> I just watched everybody in complete disbelief. Like, how could you be so how could you not question things harder, you know? And Same. and and for you and I and some of our colleagues online to be so vilified and attacked consistently with such venom for speaking the truth. And this morning I woke up and I was drinking coffee and I'm like, I was reading another article yet again vindicating what we've been saying all along. And it was just like, man, I love a good cup of I told you so in the morning, but what a... <laughs> terrible set. I mean, you know, it doesn't make me feel good to say that, of course, because it's at the cost of livelihoods and lives. And that's That's not okay. That's right. And even, you know, talking about at the cost of lives, you know, in Australia, well, sorry, in Victoria, if we look at the repercussions of those lockdowns for two years, because we were in lockdown for a total of 290 days, and we were in a a stage four lockdown, which meant you could only access the grocery store and I think very, very bare basic medical needs. Like that was it. Um, and but so if you look at the repercussion of that in order to save, you know, in their instance, save lives in quotation marks. For example, we had children die in child protective services during that period because of the COVID restrictions not allowing them to get into foster homes or whichever. And that was more children who died than that of COVID, you know. So that's like one oh. example. That's one example of many. Our domestic violence went increased by thirteen percent last year, right? And that's that's according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics. This isn't me just talking smack, yeah. <laughs> right. So it's like, so to your point about like the lives that have been affected, yes, 
obviously, and especially initially, there were some vulnerable people who carked it at the cost of this virus, most of which were over 85 years old. Um, and I'm not saying that's good or bad, but I'm just saying that's the reality of as you get older and as you're unhealthy, you talk about this all the time with metabolic disorder. But then, like, what is the repercussion on all of the other parameters of, like, health? You know, domestic violence, children, we've got homelessness, you know, all sorts of things, addiction. I, I just... Oh. I'll post scary. the I'll post the John Hopkins study that just came out this week and you can it's 63 pages but I thumbed through it and it goes into some of that and it's right. it's horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so, it's truly horrifying and it you know no disrespect to folks in their 80s but this is what viruses do. They they take out the old and infirm. I mean that's correct. that's what viruses have always done. We understand this in animal populations. Anybody who raises animals understands this and yet for some reason with humans we had this zero zero no deaths are okay kind of policy which the, the yeah baffling this episode of the dr tina show is brought to you by my personal line of products that you can find inside my online store my number one selling product is easily relax tonic what is relax tonic Relax tonic is an innovative powdered drink mix that reminds me a whole lot of the cherry flavored kool-aid i drank as a kid only this Kool-Aid won't brainwash you and might actually help you make better decisions. It contains a blend of ingredients that promotes a relaxed mood by supporting the body's natural neurotransmitter balance and neuronal stabilization. It contains the inhibitory neurotransmitter GABA, supports hormonal balance, healthy blood pressure levels already within normal range, and healthy glucose metabolism. Relax Tonic aims to promote a calm, relaxed, well-balanced, emotional, and physiologic state. While I can't make any specific health claims, tell you how to dose it, or make individual health recommendations, I can tell you how they work. As always, check with your provider before beginning any supplement regimen. Listeners of The Dr. Tina Show can enjoy 10% off Relax Tonic by using the code RELAX10 in all capital letters over inside my store at store.drtina.com. That's D-R-T-Y-N-A. Again, head to store.drtina.com and be sure to use code RELAX10 for 10% off. So what can you do as a, so you're very pregnant. You look fabulous, by the way, oh, <laughs> for being so very pregnant. I, I was like, wow, I thought you were just a few months. That picture of you on Instagram, you just look like a goddess. I was like, yes, warrior goddess mode. What, how are you going to, are you able to get into the hospital as an unvaccinated person and give birth? Oh, I won't be birthing in the hospital. So. Yeah, I didn't figure. <laughs> You're like, that I'm is... squatting it out at home. <laughs> yeah, no, we are. Uh, that wouldn't have happened anyway, regardless of COVID. But yeah. I think now even more so, and this is what I'm saying to a lot of my clients, um, home birthing and being being in a safe space is more important than ever. And being around people who are respectful of your decision making, you know, around vaccines or whichever it is. Um, and we've seen a, a massive increase in home births in Australia due to these mandates. And it's very scary. Like, you know, a lot of women at 35, 36 weeks gestation are wanting to switch from having a planned hospital birth into being at home because all of a sudden their husband isn't allowed to attend the birth. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that, and like that, having a you, you've been there a, a yes. while ago, but you've been there. It's like, you know, imagine being in that mindset of 36 week gestation, and all of a sudden you have to change the whole dynamic of how you thought you were going to give birth. That's scary. Oh, it's um, terrifying. I, yeah. I, early on in this, I was getting messages from, 
it broke my heart. I was actually getting messages from, uh, I'm going to cry, like grandmothers or who are soon to be grandmothers who were dropping their daughters, their adult daughters off at the front door of the hospital to go in alone in a mask and go labor Awful. and deliver in a mask by themselves. So that was happening here in the U.S. early on. Um, nobody was allowed in with them. They had to go through it all themselves. And these poor grandmothers, I mean, you want your, you need your female tribe there, you know, mm -hmm. and these women were messaging me just beyond, just because they had daughters my age, or mm -hmm. my daughter's age, I should say. We we were the same age. <laughs> and we both had, we both have daughters in their early 20s. And they were like, I don't know what to do. I'm sending my little girl into the hospital to go through this by herself. No one's allowed in. So that, that in different states and different cities here in the US, I think that's probably still happening to some degree. And that to me is completely unacceptable. That's right up there with dying alone. I mean, in both yeah. cases, what a horrific thing to do to a human being. Well, we've had hospitals deny care to women. Oh, that's what I'm, I'm hearing. That's why yeah. I wanted to talk to you because I heard yeah. that the unvaccinated might potentially be having to pay some kind of tax or maybe that was in Canada that the unvaccinated were going no, to lose access to health. They were floating that idea here. Um, so the, the director of the Australian Medical Association, I don't know his name because he's irrelevant to me, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but he came out with a piece in The Guardian, which is like sort of one of our biggest vetted media sources here, and um, basically saying that if people didn't want to get vaccinated, then they should be denied care. And this is, this is the head of the Australian Medical Association. Like that's very concerning that this is sort of where his mindset's at. But I've had clients denied care who were in labour who went to the hospital and they were told to go to a different hospital. What did they do? They sent them to a different hospital. Wow. <laughs> you know, and like you just think that is crazy to me. Um, that that can even happen because they weren't vaccinated or or what whichever the issue was. Um, but it's a very scary time. And I think, and I can, to your point, like I can understand why people decide to then just toe the party line and do as they're told because, you know, experiences like that, it must be so exhausting. But I also think, but why? Like if everyone just stuck to their guns yes we wouldn't be in this situation right and i and the majority of people who got double vaccinated here didn't want to they had to do it because they had to keep their jobs yes um so that's why this whole booster scenario will be interesting because they're wanting to change the definition of fully vaccinated to having three shots but if they don't hit um to their standard 80 to 90 percent that means that all of those people who didn't get a booster will now be coined unvaccinated mm -hmm. and then so are they really willing to then allow a 40 percent drop in eco economic stimulus of people going to restaurants and so forth i don't think so <laughs> all those double jabs who refuse to get the third one can join the ranks of us heathens <laughs> <laughs> but that's right welcome but welcome I'm back <laughs> yeah welcome back uh, welcome to the our dna is not screwed up <laughs> good luck uh, <laughs> But, yeah, so I just think, but then if that happens and they go ahead with those definitions, then they're going to have such a lower amount of people being able to access restaurants and so forth, which stimulate oh, yeah. the economy. So then what are you going to do? You know, so it's kind of at this crossroads at the moment of it'll be very interesting to see what direction that they take, but they're holding on to the mandates for dear life. They don't want to give them up. And the thing that no one's realizing that's already happening in the United States, from what I understand, is personal 
taxes are going up per individual for all of this welfare that was handed out. Mm -hmm. So all of these stimulus checks, you eventually will pay back via your taxes. And that snowball effect is a whole other thing. Whilst, like you said, the economy is potentially not reopening fully, people do not understand the cluster of this from an economic standpoint. And I I would say early on that those were the people I was listening to first besides the, you know, I was, I was finding a sprinkling of old, smart doctors and, and, um, scientists and epidemiologists from all over the world I was listening to on like Rumble and in different places early on. But it was the economists who were like, uh, this is not good, you guys. I mean, from the right. very beginning, it was the economists talking about what I mean, even just being locked down for a few months, what were the repercussions of that going to be? And I was trying to present that information online and people it was just over people's heads, or they just simply didn't care, because I guess they didn't want to think about numbers, they were too busy being scared. But that part is the part that's really going to be a shit show for us and our kids. And I mean, we're talking a decade or two down the line, even to see any kind of recovery. I don't think Portland's going to recover to the level it was for maybe ever. I mean, Portland just got destroyed between COVID and Antifa. Portland was Mm. turned into, it looked like Beirut around here for a while. And it's still a lot of boarded up buildings and a little bit of life is coming back into our downtown. But we were really dependent on tourism. It was definitely a destination city. And it's, you know, I can imagine these pockets like where you are, are, is going to see very similar kind of repercussions for many, many years down the line. And that buck is going to get passed on to our kids. Yeah, well, you you can visually see it, can't you? To your point, you walk down the street and everything's boarded up or for lease or, you know, and you just think, well, what's happened to these business owners? Um, you know, are they have they started an online business? Probably not. <laughs> like, let's get real. Not everybody's shifted to online. So especially if you're a restaurateur or dependent on an actual like uh, bricks and water building. So mm-hmm. gym owners are the same. Uh, so it, it's very scary. And I think people are living in a very false sense of reality at the moment because, you know, everything's back open and people are spending money and it's like, and we get told on the daily that our economic, our inflation is only at 3% apparently in Australia, which is absolutely a crock of poo. Um, but, you know, employment's doing great. We've got one of the lowest employment uh, unemployment rates ever. It's like below 4% at the moment. But what a lot of people don't understand is that, you know, even things like unemployment rates, okay, well, it might be under 4%, but our underemployment is at 40%. Wow. Meaning, you know, if if you are a casual worker and you've lost your job, but then, you know, you have one day a week, you're technically underemployed. It doesn't mean you're unemployed. And these are the people that are really going to get hit the worst Um, because I don't know what it's like in Oregon, but here it's like, you know, to rent anywhere is incredibly expensive. To buy a house is out of the question for most people. Um, so it's it's all that snowball effect of people living paycheck to paycheck, and then they depend. Then they have to depend on the system. They go back into needing job support or welfare support in order to get by, which is fine. That's why those systems are there. But then those systems then rely on people like myself, who do well with their business, to pay taxes to fund that system. So. Yeah, it's like the never-ending merry-go-round, and yeah. it has to break at some point. Yeah, and what we're seeing here in Oregon, when businesses opened back up, there were several places that could not find help for the life of them, because mm-hmm. why would you if you could just sit at home and be unemployed and have the government send you checks? 
Correct. Unemployment social services are designed to tap into when needed, not to live off of. And we have a whole lot of people here living off of it. And so there's a little um, franchise kind of boutique restaurant called McMinimins that has been around ever since I was a kid. Really cool. They take old buildings, revamp them. Every McMinimins you go to has a similar feel, but it's all very, they keep a lot of the vintage and history of the building. So it's very cool. It's like a very cool company. And they were at all of their locations were paying $1,000 signing bonuses to get chefs just to get people to flip burgers. And I mean, this is like a bar kind of food. It's not fancy. You know, we're not talking like chic restaurants, you know, food. And I just couldn't believe it. Everywhere I went, I everywhere was understaffed all summer when they finally mm-hmm. opened us up back up. And I kept asking it because I used to be in food service. So I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, it's not hard to find food service help. And they were like, nobody wants to come back to work. In fact, a bunch of our people that got laid off just stayed laid off because why not? Why not collect unemployment checks? And as somebody who's needed social services before, I did not take them, but I needed them. And I was glad to know they were there in case I had to fall back. But mm-hmm. writing my checks last year to the federal and the state government for taxes was nauseating because they were very large checks. And I realized I was just funding this ridiculous merry-go-round and this, especially in Oregon, this un, just unnecessary tyranny that continues to persist. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad to be financing this for them. I'm paying. Right. The, they're getting fat paychecks. Yeah, I it's just the fa- same here. I just found out the. I just read somewhere the uh, year annual salaries of our Oregon Health Authority workers, and the top tiers in there, and they're all making well over six figures a year, while they just keep signing off on emergency policies to keep us locked into this horrific cycle of continuing poverty. So yeah, it's it's a strange time to be living. And, um, yeah, it's, it's exactly the same here. People just, we can't find staff. People can't find chefs. Um, because, yeah, to your point, like, why, why would you go back to work if you're actually making more money off a welfare check than you were actually working? <laughs> yep. Yep. That's right? the reality of it <laughs> yeah, for a lot of people. Oh, it's crazy. So tell me a bit, since I don't want to keep you all day, tell me a bit about what's what's happening with your, I know the trucker, I think Canada might save the world here for a hot minute. This has been the best <laughs> week of my life since the pandemic started. I have been cheering on Canada. I love Canada. I, lo- I have a lot of Canadians up there. I love, I live near the border because I'm in Oregon. Like I freaking love Canada and watching this convoy go across and just peacefully occupy Ottawa has been maybe the best thing I've ever seen in my life, but I know you guys are doing it too. So what do you know about that? Yeah, so I'm not sure where it's they're trying to start. It's definitely um, our a, a approach at being Canadians, <laughs> doing what the Canadians are doing. Uh, obviously, we had the massive protests towards the end of last year where we, I think one of them, I don't want to say the wrong amount, but I do think one of them got to almost 200,000 wow. people at one point, which was, it's just phenomenal. Like those sorts of things don't happen in Australia because and I've spoken to actually Jess about this on her podcast before, but our culture is very different to American culture. We are not patriotic. We are not patriotic and we are not freedom fighters. Okay, so we follow the rules. We don't bark back. Um, So to see 200,000 people last year fighting for their freedom, that's like a huge thing um, to have happened in Australia. And now we're obviously seeing the truckers in Canada kind of 
do the same thing in a large protest. But the benefit of what's happening with the truckers, and I think what they're trying to establish here in Australia with a similar um, scenario of truckies, you know, pausing and not um, moving stock and so forth between states, is the issue with our protests last year is although they were fantastic, they didn't really do anything. Yeah, they don't tend to. They don't do anything. Like our, they were protesting the legislation that got passed, which now we have a permanent, we can have a permanent state of emergency for the rest of our lives under this legislation, oh my which gosh. is terrifying um, <clears throat> in Victoria. So, but it's still passed, right, regardless of how many people bit back about it. But the thing is when you have an industry that actually disrupts trade like truckies or, you know, I always... I was joking yesterday with my girlfriends. We've got two large supermarket groups called Coles and Woolworths. And I'm like, imagine if they just said, no, we're done. We're not going to play this game anymore. Like what would the state governments do? They would have to buckle, right? So the only way I think we're going to see change really take place is when more of these large industries that can disrupt, like severely disrupt other industries start to take a bit of a stand. And I hope we see that with um, the truckies here. I think the convoy that we're looking at is starting from Queensland. It goes down the East Coast. And I know there was a little bit of that last year anyway in Australia. A lot of the truckies decided to say no because they had to be vaccinated in order to cross borders. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them were already like, this is a joke. Um, Whether or not it happens to the extent that's happening in Canada, I'm not too sure. Because again, we don't have that same sort of cultural approach of freedom. But they're not, they're not, they are very much do what you're told kind of folks. They are rule followers. So they, that's what has been so interesting to me. I know a lot of Canadians, like I said, I went to school with a lot of them in the chiropractic college and several in the naturopathic community. And I have gone up to speak in Alberta several times to the naturopathic community up there. I have a lot of friends and colleagues in BC. So I know a lot of doctors up there. And from day one, they're, Medical colleges came out and told them, you're not allowed to talk about this. They're not even allowed mm-hmm. to accept a, a COVID positive patient into their clinic. So like, yeah, say you called me, say my clinic was open. It's not. If you called me here in Oregon and said I have COVID, I'd be like, come on in, I'll treat you. And we were mm-hmm. legally allowed to do that. They're not even allowed to treat COVID positive patients. The only option for Canadians, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, anybody who's listening, was to go to the hospital when they got severe, and then they'd be sent home. And in fact, you had to basically have a clear, I think my my friend told me she had to have a clear COVID test negative after having COVID and and getting through it before she was even allowed to go in, or maybe it was 14 days or something before she was even allowed to go into the chiropractor because they can't even accept a COVID positive patient. They're not allowed to talk about it. And so they very quickly got silenced. And this is what happens when you silence freedom of speech is people become immobilized. They don't know what to do. And so, and they are a very compliant society and and they are very polite and they do what they're told. And, but they also, I have to say, all of them that I know are just the biggest scrappers. Like I've seen them, they love to drink and they love to fight, but they fight in good fashion. They're good sports about it, but they'll beat the crap out of each other. And I'm like, (laughs) you guys, why aren't you freaking out right now and doing something? And they were all just like, oh, no, 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 this will pass over. Look at Jordan Peterson. I mean, he was like, I got vaccinated because I did what I was told. And what the hell are you guys doing? It's that kind of attitude. And so I think they just got pushed too far. But I think they might be the best group to do this because they are so polite. And they do Mm. take such good care of each other. And they have such good manners. I mean, ultimately, they have the best manners. They're all very highly educated and, and kind. 
that that's mm. the Canadians I know and love. And so I think that they might be, they might be the country to save the world. Unlikely. I didn't expect it. <laughs> I would expect yeah. you guys to rise up and just start, just start all hell break loose. But <laughs> <laughs> well, the issue down here is we don't have any guns. <laughs> Right. So we have, we have they, nothing to protect ourselves. They don't they don't either. They gave Right. They, okay. Yeah, we do, but we're not a very smart country. I'm sorry, fellow Americans, but we do have a lot of dipshits <laughs> in this country and I mean, look at January 6 as an example. Like people just can't keep their tempers in check here and people lose it. And it it just, especially, I mean, if you look at Portland and what happened and all over just all the riots and there's, and I get that a lot of it comes from longstanding frustration with the government and all that, but we just are a generally rowdy and um, not very polite group. (laughs) So I'm leaving it to us. If us, if let's put it this way, I think if Canada doesn't pull this off, we're all screwed. And if the United States folds, we're all, the whole world folds. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the scary thing, right? So for those of us who are actually really watching what's happening, especially to your point before about the economy, it's like, I've just been watching the States thinking, oh, my God, like, if they crumble, we are fucked. Yeah. You know, but Aussies, Aussies don't think like that. (laughs) Aren't Australians and U.S. or Australia and U.S., aren't we big allies to one another when it comes to? Huge. Yeah. So, I mean, this, none of this is good. None of it is good for anyone, (laughs) you know. And so, and then that's what becomes very frustrating is um, when you when you try to have these sorts of critical debates with somebody who might be on board with what's happening with the government, they often just like go into slurring your character from like, oh, you're just an anti-vax or you don't know what you're talking about or that's just America. Why are you listing CDC studies? Or it's like, but we're all the same, (laughs) you know, like we actually have to look at this from a perspective of if the westernised countries, you know, if if that falls, we fall, right? Um, So, yeah, it's very, very scary. And that's one thing I've been very mindful of watching America and how it all plays out there. Like looking, I was used to be in New York. I was in New York for about six to eight months at one point. And now I just look at what's happening there and I think, my God, like it's decimated, right? My girlfriend who still lives there said, you walk down Broadway and like every shop is closed. Like that, what? (laughs) Everybody went to Miami. Everybody left and went south or went to Texas if they were smart. It's really sad. I thought New Yorkers, I know it's a very liberal in, in our world, the liberals are the are the uh, ones driving all this. And I really thought that New York was a scrappy group too. You know, you, you look Me at 9-11 and you look at all that and you think, ah, these cops and these firefighters, they're going to fight. And they're going to fight injustice. Because at the end mm-hmm. of the day, that's what this is. This is injustice. This isn't about a virus. This isn't about a vaccine. This is about injustice. If we had a vaccine that had some data behind it, some long-term safety efficacy and we it actually stopped transmission i could see some of i could see why they might have a leg to stand on but these mandates all over the world have no leg to stand on and and i'll say this cuz i'd love your i'd love your perspective on this this is my hypothesis and when i for the audience listening when i say hypothesis i mean like this is my own thought process based on the knowledge i have right that's what a hypothesis is their argument is the like i said the only shred of even plausible theory that they have at this point is transmission. If a vaccinated person 
doesn't build as much of a viral load because they're vaccinated. You know, hopefully the antibodies would kick in early. That would keep viral load low. Then transmission should reduce across the population as a whole, right? Across mm -hmm. the herd. Well, you guys are proof 95% vaccinated, double vax. That should hit herd immunity. It's not working. That's so, right. okay, let's say that that's the case. Let's say that's, that that's true. My argument and hypothesis is still even stronger. We know for a fact that those who are sickly, inflamed, obese, and otherwise unwell, malnourished, carry much higher viral titers for longer periods of time, spread it for longer, spread it further and wider. They have much higher titers. Titers count, right? Titers count for everything. And so in my argument, it's like, why aren't we keeping the, those who are most at risk are also those who are most infectious, Mm -hmm. Why is that not being addressed at all when they're putting the onus of responsibility on folks like you and I who very likely would be not the super spreaders? I mean, no. they the group I just described is literally who and in the data we know is the super spreaders. And you and I are probably the least contagious people. And it's like, but we're responsible somehow for their... Like, how about they go lift weights three times a week, stop eating sugar and soda and fast food and get their shit together. I realize I say that I don't mean that in a crass fashion, because I realize there are racial and financial discrepancies here that are mm -hmm. not being addressed. But I also have treated in clinics of the underserved. And those are not stupid people. And so when we, mm -hmm. when this argument is made of like, oh, well, they don't have access to food or, oh, they live in food deserts or, oh, they don't know better. It's like, if you teach them better verbally, they know better. And these are not Correct. stupid people. When I have worked in underserved clinics and community clinics in rural areas and, and in urban areas, you told those folks how to eat better and live better. And they did it. They're not mm. stupid. You empower them and they are empowered to take their health into their own hands. And the amount of fear that would go down would be incredible. But yet none of that. We get none of that. Well, well, it's like Sweden doesn't exist. Right. You know, exactly. Sweden did that. Sweden did that. Sweden said, if you're vulnerable, stay home. <laughs> but the rest of us are going to get on with our lives. And they did that from day dot. And they got so criticized. Yep. And it's it's like, have we just forgotten about Sweden? Like, I don't or Taiwan is another example, right? So it's like that that's proof that your that theory you just put out or hypothesis works. Yeah. You know? Um, and I haven't kept up with what's happened in Sweden and Taiwan now, but I could imagine life pretty much didn't get affected that much in those countries because they had a big burst of deaths and you know, infections in people who were vulnerable. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that happened early on and they took, they copped that. But they allowed people who were healthy and young to just live their life and they've never had another peak. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and then the argument people would use, the, the people that you, you know, we were talking about that just like parrot to the same thing all the time. Well, we're not, you know, in the US, we're not the same as yeah. as Sweden. We're not as healthy. And it's like, well, that's not my fucking fault. Yeah, I've been right. in practice for over a decade. I've been in medicine for two decades, over two decades. I've been trying to tell people to get healthier. How is it my responsibility that people have chosen to live a life of complete disarray with their food choices and their ex lack of exercise choices? And suddenly it is now my problem. It is very much now my problem. <laughs> and I don't get it. I, I really don't get it. And I'm losing empathy by the day. Oh, yeah, I'm exactly. I actually don't have empathy <laughs> for, for those people anymore, because 
because um, what well, I think what what COVID has taught us about everyone is that the, there's a serious, serious lack of personal responsibility taking mm-hmm. place. Um, and this is the argument that I have with a lot of people who agree with what's happened. I had one with my uncle on the weekend. I love him, but he's very pro-vaccine and pro-mandates and, you know, and he was sort of saying, yeah, but for you, like, you're more, you're more likely to die, according to him. And I said, but that's my choice. But you're not. I'm not. <laughs> of course you're, I'm not. You're not. But, it but is your choice. Regardless. That's me taking personal responsibility. So uh, because I know I'm not going to die, you know, and I think we've really lost that and people are very dependent on systems, other people. And I see this as a practitioner. You would see this as a practitioner. No, people are even dependent on me to heal them. Mm hmm. Right. So we've got to we've got to move away from that. People need to start taking sovereignty and responsibility of themselves in all facets of their life um and we're talking about welfare before it's like lost your job yeah that's fucking awful but you have a choice to pivot and make something of this or you can just sort of collapse and rely on the system again you know and we've seen people rise into in businesses over this last two years and we've seen people a lot of people fail as well and so again it just comes back into personal responsibility it was funny you mentioned jordan peterson because he's obviously the king of personal responsibility talk um right yeah but um even though maybe he didn't apply that to himself last year that was was ironic (laughs) um but yeah i think i think ultimately that's what it boils down to and people just don't want to take it anymore they they want to be fat they they want to just lounge around they want to live off the system they want somebody to take care of them um, and unfortunately, you and I are the people that have to wear the cost of the majority of those people. Well, listen to the podcast. I, I will I will date stamp this. What's the date today? It's February 3rd. Um, I released a podcast today with my colleague, Dr. Greg Nye, who just published a paper. And you'll want to go listen to it. It's a two-parter. And it's all of the things cellularly that's happening with the vaccine and what that means long-term for the body. And it's it's telling. It is a boost your immune system to dust scenario if they keep this up. So I'll leave it at that. And there's a paper published on it. So that is not my opinion. <laughs> a lot of this was, but uh, well, Holly, I love you. I wish you the best. I hope you'll keep us posted about the birth of your baby. I know you're going to be a warrior goddess and just get right through it. No problemo. Yes, I'm very much excited. And I'm very grateful to have spent this last hour and a half with you. I feel like I, I feel I feel very grateful to have connection with a lot of you guys in the States because there really isn't that many people in Australia. Um, definitely not of, of bigger platforms that are talking about, I guess, like the truth. <laughs> the truth. I know. Well, it, it turns out that it is the truth. It, it's coming out to be more and more what we said, all of us said in the beginning is very much coming to fruition, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But no, but thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait to share my birth experience because uh, it's just another step in the freedom direction for me. Yeah. Birthing the warriors, the next generation. Tell everyone where they can find you. Uh, you can jump probably Instagram's the easiest at the women's series, or you can jump on the women's um, and you can see what I'm doing over there. Okay. I will make sure all the links are in the podcast show notes. Thank you so much, Holly. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, take care and keep in touch, okay? Thanks, sis. Okay, much love. 
Thanks for listening to The Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A, and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.